Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Crushing Real Estate with Brian Pham, where we interview real estate professionals around the industry. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a very positive review. We release an episode every single Sunday, so stay tuned. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Crushing in Real Estate. This week we have Mr. Steve Olson. Steve is from Utah. Steve is a multifamily investor in both Utah and Texas. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Steve, can you walk us through your real estate journey, how you got started? Oh, sure. I've, I've had a lot, of, a lot of stops in the journey in my real estate. Uh, I got in the game in 2002. Oh, wow. And you know how they say that uh, dog years, there's like seven dog years to one human year. So that being in <laughs> since 02, that's like 200 real estate years. At least I feel like you know, anybody that lived through 08 feels like that. So mm-hmm. I've, done, um, I've done a bunch of single family flips. Mm-hmm. I'm multifamily. I'm in kind of multifamily development and sales right now. And then I buy for my own portfolio wow. as well. So I've seen a, a few different sides of the business and it's always been good to me. And mm-hmm. even when it's not been good to me, I, it's not, uh, that's not real estate's fault. It was my mistakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you know, you get wiser, the more deals that you do. Definitely. Can you walk us through what it was like investing as a real estate flipper in 2002? It was easy. <laughs> in 02, I mean, it wasn't nearly as competitive as it is now, uh-huh. right? I mean, when you think about sourcing pre-foreclosures or distressed sales, I mean, it's crazy how much competition there is for that stuff now. Yeah. In, O2, in 02, I just think the marketplace in general just wasn't as aware mm-hmm. that, that that was possible. You kind of had your old money at the foreclosure auctions and yeah. and you could you could do these things a lot easier. The market was a little bit less educated. So there's some good and bad that comes from that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had uh, most of my flipping actually happened in the 2014 range. Mm-hmm. I owned a franchise that did house flips and you know, people would call you off of your direct mail. Mm-hmm. And I can remember multiple times these homeowners would line up appointments. Wow. Right. It's Bob, then Fred, then me, and we're all <laughs> passing each other on the way out, making cash offers to this person. And yeah. it was not that way in O2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty, pretty impressive that you started in O2. And I know for, I know I agree with you, like 2002 real estate flipping wasn't that big yet. So how'd you get into real estate flipping in 2002? So it wasn't big yet, but it doesn't mean it didn't exist. I actually, um, I grew up in in Utah and a friend of mine got a job from one of the local, well, he, the guy wasn't local. He was a guru, Robert Allen. He's a well-known name in the, in the real estate game. Definitely. And he was one of the, the few with like Carlton Sheets and a few others back then that were talking about this a lot. And so my friend worked for a company that, that did a lot of kind of the ancillary services for Mm-hmm. And so I got a job over there and I became aware of this. And then I, I read the gateway drug, rich dad, poor dad. Mm-hmm. Time, and <laughs> no, I just thought, Whoa, this is, this is intense. Okay. And uh, yeah, that, that's how I got in because I be, I became made aware of it because I was just working in a business that was kind of in that, in that space. And I realized, Hey, you, you actually don't want to work in this business. You want to do what these guys are talking about. Definitely. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. It's a, it's a crazy start and you know, a lot of good inspiration that you bring. So, you know, in 2002, 2014, you, you did a lot of single family flips, but now you're more involved with multifamily. How'd you make the transition? 
It was pretty interesting. I was working with a broker selling uh, turnkey properties. Okay. Um, you know, turnkey stuff in the Midwest and the South. It's rehabbed and rented, kind of designed for the passive investor that has a, they're busy with their job. And, and frankly, their job is the best use of their time. They can make good money there, but mm. they need to invest that money okay. into something and they want to go into real estate. And I met a guy here locally that had begun some new construction development on, on fourplexes. Mm-hmm. And he made me an offer to kind of help him out because I already understood the mentality of the nationwide investor. Wow! And I just kind of went into it thinking, "Oh, this is a thing I'll do a little bit of." <laughs> you know, well, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, six months later, it was hot and heavy. I was realizing, "Hey, this is awesome. Uh-huh. This is great." Um, I should have been doing multifamily all this time. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, there's nothing against single family. It's I think though that. I don't know many people that own 50 houses that don't mm-hmm. want to scale, right? The economies of scale that come with multifamily is pretty, a pretty positive thing. So mm-hmm. that's, that's really how I made the leap. And, and now I, I help operate the fourplex investment group or FIG for short. And we mm-hmm. develop these fourplex and multifamily communities in Utah, Texas, and Idaho. And we're, we're making the jump down into the Phoenix, Arizona metro here later this year. Actually, it is later this year. <laughs> Already, I've been saying it for so long. I forgot that's November now. Yeah, that's that's insane. So for our listeners, uh, Steve has an awesome Facebook page called Fig on Facebook. It has over nine hundred likes on it. So you guys can hop over and take a look at the stuff that Steve's currently do. We'll highly appreciate that. So that's sure. awesome, man. Yeah. So yeah. for your fourplex property investments, like, can you kind of walk us through like how you do it? I I know you mentioned. Uh, at the presentation that, you know, you do some ground up development. Can you kind of walk our listeners through through the logical, logical step to how you do your investment in your company? Sure. And we kind of have a unique way of approaching this. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're paying attention out there right now, there's a big phrase going around, especially in multifamily mm-hmm. called value add. Definitely. Right. Being a, being a real estate broker in the multifamily space, I get emails all the time from people saying, Hey, we're looking for a C class value add apartment building. And I say, yeah, you and everybody else. Right. So it, everybody wants that. Hey, and it's understandable, right? That's an excellent investment if you can find it. But the problem is for a busy professional, you, you don't really have the time to go out there and source that stuff. Mm -hmm. It takes a whole system getting put into play to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have the time and expertise to do it, Hey, giddy up. I say, go for it. But if you don't, that presents a problem. Mm-hmm. So what FIG is designed to do, and we kind of jokingly call it the armchair value add. Armchair. The armchair value. Yeah. Somebody just sitting in their armchair at home can do a value add and that's through new construction. Mm-hmm. So what happens is when our builder, because we're FIG, we have a builder and management company, a few different entities that, that make us what we are. Mm-hmm. If they were going to build a community of fourplexes, Mm-hmm. You know, just build this whole thing, fill it up with tenants, and then sell it. Mm-hmm. If they did that, they took all the risk out of the deal, right? Yeah. You you can go offer that to the investor and say, "Hey, here this is. Mm-hmm. It's a five percent cap rate on new construction." And you know, frankly, old construction, old rundown fourplexes sell at about a five percent cap rate in the markets that we operate in. Okay. Where you are in the Bay Area, it's even lower than that. Four <laughs> percent. Yeah, and that's that's without all the deferred maintenance garbage that's going to come with it after you close. Absolutely. So, it's 
the investors are like, well, where do I get a little bit better return? Because if I pay what the market demands right now, yeah, it's just kind of a so-so deal. Mm-hmm. And so what happens with FIG is we set these up to where investors can come and they close on a construction loan. Mm-hmm. And we build this fourplex for them all the way to completion and do all the lease up for them and everything. And because they took the financing part of the equation out of it for the builder, mm-hmm. the builder can sell it to them at a better price. Typically, they'll make a cap rate spread of, of 2%. So open market is 5%. If you buy through FIG and go through construction, it's 7 mm-hmm. That translates into equity, right? Wow. Now this fourplex that you bought for, I don't know, 700000 Mm-hmm. If you were to turn around and sell it with tenants on the open market, we'd get you eight twenty five, eight fifty, depending cool. on the market. Yeah, and people will pay that because that is the the rate that fourplexes are absorbed mm-hmm. on the open market. So that that's what we're set up to do. So mm-hmm. um, somebody who has a job and is really busy can go through that process because we do it all for you. Mm-hmm. Your risk in the deal is that well, yeah, you've signed for a construction loan, and things can change between when you close and start construction to when you're actually leasing up and, and doing a refinance into your long-term financing, right? Yeah. You're, you're just accepting that risk, uh, but you get some reward for it as a result. So that's why it's an armchair value add. Yeah. If you have a laptop and DocuSign and a phone, you can do a value add. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, it's similar to, to one because when you do a value add on a big apartment building or even a fourplex, you're going to have to get rid of some deadbeat tenants. You're going to have to go in there and refresh units and do some remodeling. And that's going to take a fair amount of time. And so a lot of the people that do this do it because they go, hey, if I'm going to do all that, I might as well do it on something that's brand new. Mm-hmm. That, that's their rationale. Yeah. I like that rationale a lot too. Because honestly, like you're going to take that much risk. Like You want to do something that could maximize your value. And obviously, when you're doing value adds for apartments that, you know, have deadbeat tenants and whatnot, like, mm-hmm. that, that, that's a huge X factor that you can't always control. It depends on, you know, who you hire as your attorney, all the eviction process skills. There's a lot more risk involved. So I really like the idea that, you know, you bring in uh, money to do new construction. I like that a lot. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's not, it's not fancy, but it works. And, yeah. Uh, the, the investor just has to be patient because the process is going to take a year or more front yeah. to back, right? Mm-hmm. To go through all that. But yeah, you'll get a brand new asset and that comes with some really cool benefits too on, on your depreciation. Definitely. Um, if, um, because there's some uh, cool stuff on year one bonus depreciation on new construction out there right now <laughs> that you can take. So can you talk that's about, one reason I do it. Can you talk a little more about that? I don't think most of our listeners understand that you could depreciate in a new build. That's insane. Yeah, you can depreciate a new build, right? And and let me just first preface this with, please talk to your CPA. <laughs> I'm not a CPA, okay? This is, a, as far as you're concerned, this is some guy talking about it right now. This is my opinion. But okay. the way I understand it is um, on residential real estate and, and fourplexes qualify as that. You don't depreciate those over 39 years like commercial. You depreciate them over 27 and a half years. Mm-hmm. And that's the sticks and bricks. It's not the land. So what, what traditionally happens is depreciation can kind of unfold in three levels. Okay. The first one is you depreciate the sticks and bricks over 27 and a half years and it gets you a non-cash write-off, mm-hmm. right? So whatever your sticks and bricks value is, divide by 27 and a half, you get that deduction every year and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of investors don't qualify to take that every year though, because they phase that out. I think it's when you make 150,000 a year or more, 
Okay. You can't take that write-off. It, it instead accumulates in a passive losses bucket. Mm-hmm. So you, those losses just stack up. And then when you sell the property, you could apply those to wipe out capital gains or, or other taxes, right? Yeah. So that, and, and I'm probably butchering it, but this is, I think most would agree I'm in the ballpark here. So yeah. where it gets better is for people that are listening to your podcast and they're investing in a lot of properties and, mm-hmm. and maybe, or they've got a, a spouse, right? That is at home and they can be what's called a real estate professional. Yeah. On your taxes, there's a designation for a real estate professional where you say, yeah, I make a living in this business. It's what I do. And there's a means test that you have to pass a certain amount of time you have to spend in the business. But when you do that, it takes away that cap, Mm -hmm. right? So now you can take those losses every single year. Mm -hmm. And so if you've got one spouse that is working and they're like a high W-2 income wage earner, the other spouse claims real estate professional, they mm-hmm. can bring all the depreciation losses and, and really hit those W-2 taxes hard on yeah. the other spouse. And that becomes a tremendous return on investment because it dramatically lowers your tax your taxes. So that's, and, and talk to your CPA about what it takes <laughs> to be a real estate professional. But where it gets even better mm-hmm. is now, okay, if, if we on our properties, and you can do this, what I'm about to tell you on any property, it doesn't have to be a fourplex, it could be anything, but you hire a cost segregation specialist. And a cost segregation specialist does a study on your building mm-hmm. and they say, okay, you've got X amount of flooring and cabinetry and appliances, right? They, they group it all in personal property that can be depreciated over 5, 10, and 15 years instead of 27 and a half, mm-hmm. right? And so you're front loading that. And that's, that's a real thing, right? I've never had flooring last 27 and a half years or, or a water heater. There's a bunch of stuff that reasonably you should depreciate faster. Mm-hmm. So now we've, by becoming a real estate professional, we've eliminated the cap yep. and we've started to front load even more of that depreciation. Mm-hmm. Now the, the absolute pinnacle of it and what I mentioned was under the new tax law, you get that year one bonus depreciation. So you can take that, all that stuff from the cost segregation study on the five, 10 and 15 year schedules and cram it all into year one. That's amazing. That's a lot of depreciation. I know, that's insane. In fact, I've been in touch. um, I've got a fourplex in Texas that's almost done that I I did for myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm just about to do the cost segregation study uh, to apply it against my taxes. It's gonna save me a lot of money. Yeah. Right. And so it's a, it's a cool strategy that you can use if you get into new construction. It doesn't have to be through us. It, it qual- it's, it's on all new construction. But even if you're not new construction, you can do the cost segregation studies and really get a lot more depreciation that way. Wow, that's a really good tip. I'm right now rehabbing my eight unit in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. I might just do something similar. <laughs> you should cost segregate that thing, man. Get Depreciate those sticks and bricks a lot faster and lower the biggest... Um, expense of your life, which is taxes. Yeah, it's uh, it comes annually and comes fast. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, every like clockwork. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate all the knowledge drop you just gave. So for, for this next segment, we kind of want to focus more on you. So Steve, can you walk us through what's your why? Why are you in real estate and what keeps you going every single day? Um, you know, some people just get the bug. Uh-huh. 
right? You, you get bit by the real estate bug and you know it when it happens. I think many yeah, of the right. listeners are like, yeah, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been bit. So um, what was really interesting for me is um, during the, the market crash back in 08, uh-huh. I owned another business at the time. I had signed uh-huh. for a bunch of debt. Everything was going to hell. <laughs> um, pardon my French. And, okay. you know, I, trying to fix all this stuff. But what was really, really interesting that I have never forgotten since uh-huh. then is it seemed like everybody was calling me and wanted money, mm-hmm. but my tenants were calling me and wanted to give me money. <laughs> they okay. still wanted to pay rent, uh-huh. even though everything was absolutely insane yeah. in the economy. And that stuck with me. I said, you know what? I have to build a big rental portfolio uh-huh. because I want my financial security and that of my family to be tied to something that is a very high priority uh-huh. for everybody else, which is where they live. Absolutely agree. I mean, I think only food and utilities are probably, uh, and maybe health are on top of mm-hmm. where you live on the hierarchy of needs. And that's, I just noticed, I, I know that, hey, if I put my eggs in that basket, uh-huh. that's a good place to be. And and that's kind of the the deep deep why, but also, I I just kind of like the hunt, yeah. <laughs> right, finding a deal, chasing it down, making the deal happen. Mm-hmm. Like I get excited about that. I really like to do that. Yeah, um, I, I think that the money that you make from it is really fun. It's really awesome. But mm-hmm. actually, just getting the deal in and of itself gives me a huge sense of accomplishment mm-hmm. that I just can't back away from. <laughs> yeah. I'll probably do this the rest of my life. Definitely. I, I know exactly what you mean about that. I'm the exact same way. Like people, people always ask me like, Hey Brian, are you in real estate because of the money? I always tell them, no, I'm in it for the thrill. You know, I'm in it to meet more people like, like yourself and do deals that kind of pushes your limit and the way you feel comfortable with pushing deals, you know, it's really yeah. thrilling because from time to time I, w- I would ask myself the question, like, what would I do if money was no longer an issue? You know, Right. And one of the one of the things that comes up is, you know what, live life to your fullest, which is for myself is investing into all these deals and meeting cool people and th- throwing together a podcast and putting meetup events together, you know? So yeah, yeah. I, I like your, your why it's very similar to how I feel. Cause I like how you mentioned that, you know, financial security is great, but you like the hunt, you like the thrill of it. And I, I can really appreciate that. Yeah, you got to have something to get you going because money is, it, it actually, I don't know, this is, it might come off wrong, but I'm, I'm <laughs> lucky enough to be in a position where I don't have to think about that all the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And, and once you get there, you realize, hey, you know what, there really is more to this. Definitely. And, and you really start to think about your relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. Like if you're having a meaningful impact on the world in any way. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the stuff that's really deep and fulfilling, but Hey, at the same time, the hunt is very deep and fulfilling for me. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll never be able to give it up. Yeah. Okay. I like that a lot, you know? Um, so Steve, what are your goals for next year and what are your goals five years from now? So next year I want to syndicate a, a deal in an opportunity zone. Okay. Um, and I have, um, you know, Fig, we're launching a project that is in an opportunity zone. So okay. I've got it there in front of me on a silver platter, but uh, I'm, I'm going to syndicate a deal, put that together mm-hmm. uh, on an OZ in Provo, Utah. That's a 2020. and That's a great area to be right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. So um, 
that, and that's actually, it's about two miles from my, uh, my office where I'm sitting right now. So it's <laughs> easy to run that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what was the other one? Five years, you said? Yeah, five years from now. So five years from now, I want to be able, this is really specific and I've got my, my own reasons for it, but mm-hmm. I want to be able to just pick up and go live and work in Hawaii for six months if I choose to do so. I love it. I love it there. Something yeah. just happens mm-hmm. in Hawaii when you land there my shoulders relax. <laughs> you know, it's like, Hey, everything's cool. Right. Yeah. In Hawaii. So I'd like to have my business in a place where I can just do that. Mm-hmm. And, and I come back and it, it made no, no negative difference to the results of my business. Cause I can't do that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I want to get there. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. I think for some of our listeners that read the book E-Myth, so he talks about taking yourself out, out of the business and kind of building a machine that can run without you. And I feel like that's exactly where you're, you're, you're trending towards, Steve. Like you're, you're building this machine like the next couple of years to make sure that you can still live your life and your business will still, will still take off, you know? And then still, right. That's the idea. Yeah. yeah. That's the idea. So that's a true American dream right there. That is. Yeah. <laughs> Red, white, and blue dream. Exactly. Yeah. Most people talk about having a house, blah, blah, blah. For us, it's like, how do you build a business where it doesn't, involve me answering my phone call all the time. Yep. Yeah. You have the big house and the car, but if you're, uh, you know, got to be in the office at eight o'clock to five every day, no, you know, then it's, that stuff is not as meaningful. Definitely. And I guess for the next part, uh, what kind of challenges do you face, do you face as a fourplex real estate investor developer? Like, and how did you overcome them? Well, there's always something. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of people out there think that, um, oh, the market's going to crash or, you know, we're, we're late in the cycle. And when I hear that, uh-huh. I keep thinking about a quote, and I think it was John Rockefeller, and I'm probably going to butcher it. But he <laughs> said that he knew it was time to sell his stocks when he was getting tips from, from the shoeshine boy. And yeah. When I hear everybody talking about a crash, and I'm a contrarian here, uh-huh. I tend to think we're probably not in for a major crash. I think actually prices are going to continue to go sideways and up uh-huh. from what I see. I, and, and that leads to the challenge that I have, which is um, building materials and subcontractor labor. Mm. It's expensive. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to get any better. Mm-hmm. I don't see it happening. And much of that has to do with the fact that, I mean, how many millennials do you know that want to be an electrician or a framer? Barely any. So where's this labor going to come from? Yeah. Um, because to have a crash, you have to have a glut of supply, right? We don't have it. We don't have it because of constraints on labor. And we're continually dealing with that in our business and, and being able to deliver our, our investments at a respectable return. Mm-hmm. And being doing that is harder and harder because land and labor is going up. But I, I really think that um, just being able to get in a good solid deal, you know, hit the singles, right, mm-hmm. is, is where you need to be. So we're trying to continue to deliver that type of product. Mm-hmm. So like and, and educating investors that, you know, that that is kind of where we are right now because I think we're wrong to think that all of a sudden we're going to have a, 
a crash and we're going to bleed out 40 or 50% mm -hmm. like we did before. Yeah, I don't think so either. That was an epic crash. Mm -hmm. And I think following an epic crash is an epic recovery. Yeah. And we've, we've seen it and I just, but hey, here's the key. You want to make investments. You want to have the right amount of reserves to where if that stuff did happen, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So right now my challenge is investing in a way that allows me to keep going and keep getting returns, mm -hmm. uh, but also not overextend myself if for some reason I am wrong and, and a crash does come. Because mm -hmm. you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. But the big challenge to me is where do you know these subcontractors, the labor, the electricians, the framers, the price that you're having to pay these guys is making it harder and harder to do this business. Yeah, I agree. And to follow up on your point earlier, I feel like compared to, you know, the crash in 2008, I feel like most of the, the loan policies are a lot stricter now. So yeah. I think with that is like, I don't think there's going to be a major crash. It's just for you guys listening. It's just all my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Mine too. Mine too. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a major crash, but I think there might be a major correction, especially here in the Bay Area, because prices are getting too high. And another point that, that you brought up that I really like as, as well, you know what, like, when people, you know, you mentioned them before, like, if the shoe boy, like, mentions that you should buy, that means that, you know, everybody, it's not a good indication how everyone thinks. But it makes me think about the, the Warren Buffett quote, where he's like, you know, be, you buy when everyone's scared. And you sell when everyone wants to buy, you know, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Definitely. That's, that's my mentality right now. Cause the way I see it is like, everyone's kind of fearful in the Bay area. So I'm thinking, wow, like the power goes back to the buyers now. Maybe I should start lowballing people <laughs> on different offers, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, and you, you look at the Bay and I'm not an expert in any way, but people uh -huh. are worried that prices are top. You're, I don't think you're going to see that that market dive, I think you could go sideways or even down a little bit. Where is this giant flood of inventory, right? A, a crash in prices is a supply and demand issue. Where is it that is it all of a sudden going to cause prices to plummet? It doesn't mean they can't correct and go down a little mm -hmm. and, and kind of line up a little bit more with where wages are and where affordability is. Yeah. But yeah, I, Buffett, he, he had another good quote. I read uh, his autobiography. Well, it's not an autobiography. It's just a biography called Snowball. Mm -hmm. that's an awesome book and there was a quote in there he said hey look just because the market is crazy mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's not about to get crazier <laughs> right and yeah. I wonder if you know because I don't see the reason that we would need to just bottom out like that so I'm yeah. kind of just plotting you know going ahead I'm putting a good amount down I'm using fixed rate debt I'm keeping reserves just in mm -hmm. case but I kind of feel like you might just be missing out on a bunch waiting for something to happen. That's never going to happen. Definitely. I really, yeah. I, I, I really hope I'm, yeah, I, I really hope I'm right on that. If, if I'm wrong, yeah. you know, and things get really tough. The cool thing is I've survived that before I can deal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, learn some deep lessons from that. Definitely. That's how I could tell like by talking to you, uh, you're a very seasoned investor. You know, I feel like people who are investing in the last, I don't know, like, 10 years, like after the crash, they tend, they tend to be a little bit more optimistic, you know, in terms of over evaluating their deals, their ARVs and whatnot. And I like that, you know, even though the OA crash sucked for everyone, I think, I think you took a lot from it is that, you know, you became more cautious, you know, you became a more careful investor. 
like some of the, the tips that you mentioned earlier, like surprisingly, I don't really get those tips on my podcast. <laughs> it's like, oh, like you should have reserves ready just in case, like you know, things don't work out. So I can tell yeah. from, from you got to have some cash, right? You got to have some, and yeah. I think that um, you know, if if it's just a math equation. Mm-hmm. somebody would say, well, your, your money is lazy. It's in the bank or it's, it's lazy equity in your house. And they're not wrong, but, yeah, but to me, there's some emotional value in the safety and keeping some powder dry. Of course. But I don't think you should, I, I, I I'm kind of convinced. I hear a lot of people's, well, I'm not investing. I'm waiting for the market to crash and all these things. Everything. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, ah, you, I don't think you actually can invest. I think that's what you're telling yourself, but yeah. I, I think you're missing a whole bunch a whole bunch of profit that could be made right now mm-hmm. by waiting for something to happen that that probably won't happen. Yeah, I agree. And for I have people that come out to my meetups that ask me like, "Hey, how'd you get started into real estate and whatnot?" Or, "Hey, I don't want to invest right now." I always tell them like, "Right now is the best time to seek out mentors because I feel like when the market turns down, the people who are still investing actually know what they're doing." You know, and when the market is doing really really well. Like everyone's a genius. What's the point of asking people to be your mentor when everyone seems like a genius, right? You want to find mentors when the market's not doing well. Yeah, everybody's smart when the market's doing well. Yeah. (laughs) I have some index funds, Uh you know, just just because. I look so smart right now. (laughs) But really, what do I know? I just I've just bought the stupid fund. And you know, it's been returning really, really well. But then I'm gonna look really stupid when it doesn't uh, do that anymore. So I get what you mean by that. Not not the bag of my crypto friends, but it's, that's exactly what happened in crypto a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Awesome. <laughs> I guess as we're approaching the end of the show, Steve, um, so if you can restart your real estate career all over again, what would you have done differently? Hmm. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. It's hard to answer that because I've been through some pain. Yeah but I don't know that I would change it. Exactly. I like that a lot. I mean, because you look at the lessons you learn from that stuff uh-huh. and you just don't want to be in the world without those deep lessons that, yeah. that you learn. Right. Um, that's why I didn't think I would say that. Usually people try to come up with something, but no, no, I like that a lot. But if I wasn't stupid, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have learned some things that, that I really, really value now. Yeah. Absolutely agree with that statement. That's I revise the right to change my mind. I'll let you know if I think of some profound lesson. <laughs> it sounds really stupid to think, oh, I wouldn't change anything. No, no, I did a lot of stupid stuff, but I'm in a way yeah. I'm kind of glad I did. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to learn. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that question is is all relative on time. Ask me again in six months, right? <laughs> yeah, I should have bought that property. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, exactly. that's a really deep, profound answer as well. I think a lot of people that come into the show always mention that, hey, like, I wish I could start earlier. I wish I never made that mistake. But I like your your answer because it really shows that you truly reflected on your mistakes and that you learn from them. It's the fact is, if we never make mistakes, we never grow. We never learn, you know? And There's there's something different between learning a lesson because somebody told it to you yeah. and said, hey, do this, versus you went through it. Yes. Like when you learned it because you had to sweat it out and gut it out, 
Yeah. It just stays with you on such a deeper level. It's so yeah. much more meaningful. It is. And I've, you know, I've got a million little techniques and things. Oh yeah, I do this different, but I'm trying to keep this on the, like the high level. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, that being said, do you have any morning routines that you follow or any rituals or affirmations that you follow? I've been doing the miracle morning. Oh, wow. You know, um, and I, I like that, you know, it, it really gives you a chance and to, to get ahead of your day. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Jocko Willink with, with extreme ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he has a book called the discipline field manual and, or discipline is freedom field manual, I think. And mm-hmm. in there he talks about, you know, when you wake up at four thirty or five, the world is yours. No one's texting <laughs> you. No one's calling you. No one's bothering you. Agreed. And it allows you to just have at least a couple hours uh-huh. to do what you got to do and not be interrupted. So yeah. I do that. And I've actually been meditating <laughs> lately. Yeah, that's uh, if it works. Yeah. Yeah. I have that Headspace app. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of been liking that, you know, because I got to have somebody walk me through it. Otherwise, I just see too many squirrels. And I can't focus. <laughs> but that guy, you know, he does a pretty good job uh, keeping you on task for the meditation. So yeah. that's what I've been doing lately. Yeah, I think meditation has definitely helped a lot too. Because sometimes you realize that, you know, you have to disconnect yourself to the world. And mental health is extremely important when you're running your own business, you know. Just so many, so many things going on. You just have to disconnect yourself for a little bit. Oh, I mean, so much of this is between your ears. Like yeah. how you choose to perceive things and how you think about yourself and your... Yeah. So much of this is that. I, I mean we really get in our own way a lot. We really do. Security really shows. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. True. Awesome, Steve. So I guess the last question is, do you have any favorite book or podcast that you can recommend to your listeners? Um, I, one of my favorite books ever is the big short by Michael Lewis. That's a great book. I think probably because I learned those lessons. I, I just remember that so vividly. Uh-huh. that that whole process uh-huh. um as far as other books i really do like the book extreme ownership by jocko oh, willink that's one of my favorites okay about owning and and accountability to yourself and to your team it's a fantastic fantastic book all right i'm gonna pick that up after this podcast <laughs> you'll love it and he 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 backs it up with lots of really great stories he's a he's a navy seal or was and so they all come from his experience in combat and what he learned that explains a lot navy seals are the toughest people i know yep awesome yep. hey steve how can we find out more about you how can our listeners reach you uh, you just go to our, our website and there's like, there's a contact us form. If you want to chat, I'm happy to to chat. And the website is fig like the fruit. So F I G dot U S dot U S fig dot U S. All right. I'll also include that in the show notes as well. Awesome. That's great. Awesome. Hey Steve, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate you having me. Well, maybe we'll do it again here in a year or so. Definitely. I like to hear and follow up on your story. Cool. Yeah. Take care. Thank you.